Welcome everybody to JP Morgan's Global Data Pod, our podcast on all things that we're talking about, thinking about in terms of the global economic outlook. And boy, do we have a lot of stuff to be thinking about and talking about. And today I'm joined by Nora Santivani and Rafael Brun Aguirre, both in London and both to talk about uh, inflation. And in talking about inflation, what I'd like to do is start with just a, a one second advertisement. We um, uh, published our first global inflation monitor, a monthly report we're gonna continue to put out, which gives you uh, a good summary of what's actually happened on the ground, uh, but also a very detailed discussion of what's happening globally in terms of uh, uh, inflation performance. Uh, and we want to start with that conversation, but obviously there's a lot about inflation right now that feeds uh, many other aspects of the outlook, growth, uh, Fed, and so on. But we're going to start with you, Nora, and uh, the monitor this month talks about February inflation. Uh, why don't you give us all the good news on February inflation? Right, so February was another very strong uh, month for inflation. We had very broad-based uh, gains in inflation across sectors, across regions. So it's really a month where inflation continued to run hot. If we look at the global headline CPI, it was up 0.6% month on month. And so that picked up a little bit from the from the previous- Let's just put the caveat in that we're, the we're excluding Turkey from our all of our calculations. Yes, so sorry. let's get, yes. get that one in, but Correct. okay. Sorry to interrupt you. I wanted to, I wanted to avoid mentioning <laughs> Turkey. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, so we exclude Turkey uh, in cases, in some cases, I'll exclude China as well. But yes, excluding Turkey, it's a 0.6% month on month pace. Um, and if you think about how that relates to, you know, the past couple of decades, really, it's the second fastest monthly increase of this expansion. Now, much of the rise here does owe to a very large increase in energy CPI, which we'll, I'm sure we'll talk about a lot in, in a minute. So their prices were up 3.2% month on month, especially in the US and Euro area. We had very large increases of, you know, between 3 and 5% month on month, respectively. If we're looking at kind of more annualized rates of inflation, then global CPI is tracking an over 6% annualized pace uh, in the current quarter. That's the fastest in a quarter of a century. And if we exclude China, then that pace is even more stunning at around 8%. Okay, so those are all pretty chunky numbers, right? We're, we're kind of in, yeah. Yeah. you know, dizzying territory in terms of inflation. Um, but what would you Correct. say to someone yes. who says, well, this is, you know, this is energy and we shouldn't really pay too much attention to it? It's not that, is it? It's, it's quite a bit broader than the energy story. It yeah, yeah. So energy is is a big part of it, but it's it's clearly not just energy. This is very broad based, uh, as I mentioned. So, uh, you know, things like food as well are are surging outside of China. We've had a close to one percent month on month increase in uh, in food prices, and at an annualized pace, we're running above nine percent. So that's really the strongest pace of food inflation we've seen since the middle of two thousand eight or 2011, uh, you know, these are periods that were associated with very large um, shocks to food inflation. So uh, food is clearly a source of pressure. To be sure, food inflation was already very strong, uh, you know, through, throughout last year, pretty much. And as we've highlighted before on these podcasts, that was linked to broader forces that were raising, you know, transportation costs, labor costs. We've had these pandemic-related 
supply bottlenecks. Um, and now, of course, with the war in Ukraine, we've seen an additional uh, strong upward pressure on agricultural commodity prices, which, which I think we'll discuss a bit later. And then beyond food, a core inflation as well has remained very strong. Uh, outside of China, we're talking about a 0.4% monthly pace for the fifth month in a row. In annualized terms, we're running above 5%. And, and OIA rate is around 4%. So really kind of energy is a big part of it, but if you scratch the surface, there's pretty much every single component here is running very strong. And you know things like core goods inflation is running over 8% annualized over the past three months. So well. broad-based inflation and it's broad across components, it's broad across countries. We can exclude China and perhaps Japan, which are appearing to be on a, a different trajectory. Uh, but actually, I, I think one of the more interesting elements of recent inflation performance is how how far we've moved in the euro area and Western Europe more generally. But we, since we have you here, Raphael, let's let's focus on the euro area for a couple of minutes here. You know, as as Nora said, energy is a big story, and euro area energy CPI is up forty two percent annualized over the last three months. Um, but that's not the only story. It's also a, the core is running four, which is for euro area quite elevated. Um, obviously, we want to talk about what that means for the economy, but let's just start. Why Why has inflation moved so rapidly so, so recently uh, in the euro area? Yeah, so basically the, the main point is that we're highly dependent um, on, on commodities generally in the region, um, in particular commodity that is coming from uh, Russia, be it oil, be it gas. Um, so these had um, a very, very large impact. Uh, the extent of the revision we made to inflation, just put this into numbers, we're talking about a three percentage point revision in the last few weeks. So that's that's a very, very large revision. We have in the profile inflation. So the latest print headline inflation is uh, 5.9%. We do expect some um, inflation pressure to continue to lift that numbers. We have a peak at 7.5% uh, in the coming month in June. Um, and then inflation- But could I just, just, I want to stop you there for a second, Rafael, because there's definitely an impact from the invasion. But if you're looking at these run rates on inflation for the last three months, very little of that is the, is the invasion. I mean, the, the natural gas price story and energy is a legacy of pressures that have been building for the last right, six months. Right. It's, Food it's, price inflation is not about uh, the cutoff of Ukrainian wheat supply. And the core right. inflation pressure is not about the invasion yet. So you've got, we, we can talk about the invasion and its impact in a second, but that's mostly going forward. What we're really talking about is a set of pressures that have been building in the euro area for the last four or five months, really, right? Absolutely. The energy beat story started late summer last year, and this is effectively when we started to see this increase in gas prices, electricity prices as a result of stocks of But gas. I think most people can see the natural gas price story because it's a, it's a global commodity story. But what the heck is going on with core? You know, why is core is, moved up is, so much? Is the result of the this COVID crisis, uh, the supply chain issues. We had effectively uh, strong demand on the core goods side. Um, the supply was um, problematic. We've seen in the spring of last year 
these issues in terms of supply chains impacting core goods prices in the euro area and that lasted but then we also had after the summer the the pickup in services uh, consumption which impacted services prices so those pressures have been building they put a big spike into euro area inflation we now have further increases in natural gas prices further increases in crude oil prices uh, we have um, some other disruptions going on in the supply chain as a result of the invasion. What happens to euro inflation in the next few months, and how much of a threat is that to regional growth? Yeah, so we expected it to peak already, but the point is that inflation is going to increase further and peak later on in the year, so something close to 8% in, in the next few months. What that means for growth, we already revised down the GDP forecast in, in terms of levels by an early two percentage points. So that's that's a substantial uh, revision. Now, I think in terms of risks, things are moving. Um, it, it really depends where energy prices are going to settle, the impact on inflation. Obviously, when we revised growth, a, a large um, impact was coming through inflation. So... At the moment, we're assuming a price for Brent that is around 115 in the second quarter, heading towards $100 later on. We assume that gas is on average 110 euros per megawatt for the year, heading towards 90. But if you were to tell me uh, different levels, higher levels for these commodities, the impact on growth would be potentially much larger. Now, do you think that the channels by which higher inflation is hitting growth in the euro is also working through um, sentiment, is also working through financial conditions? Do we need to worry about those indirect effects in terms of thinking about growth risk? We do. Um, now, if you ask me what is the most important, I would say that it's still energy prices. It is something that I would think is non-linear. There is a price at which it is not viable for corporates to produce. I'm not sure where the price is. Well, but... let me give you a drum roll and you can give me that price. Okay. Go, boom. I would say 150 for gas and something that is close to that level for Brent. So something Euros. that is not too far from where we are. I mean, we have already some companies in Europe that have been arguing that they've been struggling to produce at these sort of prices and not making money. And the good example is IP in Italy in January, minus three and a half percent. Obviously, there was some seeing some noise around COVID around the time, but we had some companies, the regulator allowed gas and electricity prices to increase sharply in January, and some companies as a result saying that it wasn't worth producing anything at these price levels. So let me turn to you, Nora, because I think when we go to EM, there's this kind of two interesting things here. One is there are a, a few countries which are going to be under significant pressure here, particularly on food price inflation. And the other point is that there are some countries that get particularly important windfalls, at least in terms of their terms of trade, because they're, they're exporters. So how do you kind of think about the, the pressure points and the, and I don't want to say pleasure points, but the, the points at which countries who are actually getting benefits from this might actually, uh, you know, deliver some potential outperformance here. Yeah, you're right. I mean, the food shock is 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 significant for EM. If you know, just think about 
you know, even the weight of food in CPI baskets, it, it tends to be much higher in EM countries than in DM, just EM countries are generally poor. We're talking, you know, on average 20% weight of food in CPI baskets, but in some EM countries, it's as high as 40%, you know, in India, Thailand, Philippines. But I think the countries that will probably be most uh, exposed to this shock are really the ones that are very heavily dependent on food imports as well as energy imports. And, you know, we're talking of countries like, these are more frontier countries, but, you know, Egypt, Morocco, Tunisia, uh, Sri Lanka, you know, some of the Central, Central American countries, to a lesser extent, Turkey as well. You know, in some of these countries, we're seeing food riots taking place. Some of them are having to take IMF assistance and they're getting uh, pressured also by, uh, you know, funding uh, conditions tightening. So, you know, th these, these commodity importing countries that are, are, are on the poor end of the spectrum and that are heavily reliant also on importing a lot of these agri agricultural commodities uh, from uh, Russia, Ukraine are going to come under uh, the most significant pressure. The, the, you know, the main commodities here that we're talking about uh, in terms of agricultural wheat, corn, uh, sunflower oil. So these are the commodities for which Russia, Ukraine are significant global uh, producers. Now, there are some inventories, of course, for these uh, commodities that can absorb some of that shock, but certainly the pressure is building on the countries that I mentioned. Another let me let me ask about the other side of where you can find a cushion, which is on the fiscal front. Uh, who's got the capacity to provide support to offset some of this drag? from the, um, you know, uh, either controlling prices or providing uh, income transfers to uh, food and other uh, commodity consumers. Yeah, I mean, as you say, so there will be some uh, commodity uh, exporting countries, uh, you know, we're, we're talking here countries like, uh, you know, not just a food, but also the broader commodity spectrum. So, energy, metals, because uh, remember all commodity prices are rising here. So you have countries like uh, Chile, Peru, South Africa, most of the LATAM countries actually, apart from Mexico, will be benefiting from terms of trade improvements within Asia. Uh, it's especially Indonesia that we've been highlighting, which is a significant uh, producer of coal, coal and palm oil. So these countries will see some uh, windfalls to their to their tax revenues. They will see improvements in their current account balances and generally some appreciation of their currencies as well on on a relative basis. And that will allow the governments to cushion uh, some of this shock by transferring, um, you know, some of these windfalls to the consumer. So they'll be in a much better position to put in place subsidies or tax cuts uh, to cushion the impact on consumer demand. So generally, we do expect these fiscal offsets to be coming through in a broad range of EM uh, countries. Now, even in the... I just wanted to turn to Raphael because there's some of that that's going to happen across Western Europe. How, how significant do you think the fiscal actions that are going to be taken by Western European governments are to offset some of the, the pain of high inflation here in the coming months? Well, the first point is that the fiscal space across countries varies a lot. I mean, if you're talking about Germany on one hand or Italy, you, you don't have the same capacity. But generally, what we've heard is that countries are willing to soothe the impact of high energy prices. Um, 
in the last two weeks, we've heard quite a bit on the space of um, oil prices uh, for transport, some countries willing to uh, lower the price of the pump. It could be a rebate. It could be a, a direct action in, in prices. We, we've heard of rebates in France, direct action and prices in Germany. Um, we've sort of looked into that. It's it's difficult to to assess um, exactly what will happen for how long. But so far, we put as a placeholder something which could be half a point of, of GDP for the region as a whole. Um, there's obviously something which is um, in a space of the EU uh, that could be done. Um, some ideas have been floating, um, some um, um, people have been meeting around, but uh, at, at the moment we don't get something that is, has crystallized in terms of um, exactly what could be done. Uh, so that seems that action is going to be more at the country level so far. Obviously, fiscal is one lever which could provide a cushion, but the other concern here is that we don't have that lever going in a, a supportive way on the monetary side. Um, how much further tightening in a world in which there is this growth uncertainty, Nora, do you, do you expect to see across EM here? Yeah, so look, I think EM countries, much like uh, DM um, policymakers, are aware that there are some, you know, building downside risk to growth, but they can't really afford to take their eye off uh, of inflation, especially for EM. You know, a number of central banks uh, have been, you know, continuing a year or almost two year long effort now to anchor their credibility in the face of very elevated inflation that's running well above targets pretty much everywhere outside a couple of Asian countries and China. So this isn't really a time uh, to be shifting focus to growth. So in the near term, I think they will remain on the move. And certainly we are uh, seeing that happen. Remember, the rate hikes to date really are just largely keeping up with the, the rises in inflation. So if you look at real interest rates, so, uh, you know, current policy rates adjusted for current inflation, they're, you know, around zero uh, on average. And in, in low yielders in EM, they're still negative. The high yielders have adjusted more on the margin. But, you know, by and large, this is still a position where they're going to have to tighten further. Now, central banks in Latin America especially have been at the forefront of this tightening. Brazil in particular, but the other uh, LATAM countries as well. So even though they are benefiting from positive terms of trade effects, the, the inflation pressure there has just been relentless. Uh, Central Eastern Europe is another uh, you know, region that has seen very elevated inflation, tight labor markets. So it's a broader story there that has been ongoing for some time. More recently, they've also faced financial stability concerns due to weakening uh, exchange rates as they have seen significant spillover from Russia and, and from their position of being, um, you know, net commodity importing countries. So that have, uh, has added to central banks' inflation worries, and, and they've, we've continued to add significant rate hikes to the near-term uh, uh, forecast. Now, Asia is the last point I'll make, is a region where, you know, inflation pressures have been relatively modest, but even there we are seeing signs of an uptick in inflation. They are more removed from the situation in Russia but they do get generally negatively affected by higher energy prices. Uh, and so, uh, so even there, I think the pressure has been building to the upside from higher food and energy prices. Again, there's a couple of exceptions there, like Indonesia, which benefits from the terms of trade improvements and therefore is in a better position, same with South Africa, and is not under as much pressure 
uh, to to hike rates or keep uh, you know keep up with Fed tightening pace, for example, because their currencies are strengthening from uh, this improvement in terms of trade. So quite I think a bit. I'm going to say I think that's an interesting observation that um, we're not seeing uh, the dollar come under significant upward pressure or EM currencies as a whole come under downward pressure. In fact, some of the commodity uh, producers, Brazil, perhaps one of the more interesting ones, are seeing significant upward pressure on the currency. And I think that that actually matters in the context of the inflation uh, picture as we talk about the Fed, uh, because there's no doubt that the Fed historically, at least historically in the last 30, 40 years, has not tended to, to hike into uh, commodity price shocks. Uh, you know, it was one of the few central banks that didn't hike uh, in 2008 or in 2010, 11, uh, and it didn't hike. It was already in the uh, process of easing through some of the uh, energy price spikes in the 90s and early 2000s, which, which helped precipitate uh, US and global recessions. But the Fed is tightening now. And I think we do need to put this in context of a Fed that is um, seeing concerns about growth, but the US is not on the front line as Europe is on that front, on that, on that issue around the invasion. Uh, and it's seeing significant pressures on inflation, which is on the front line. You know, the US has been as significant in terms of its inflation pressure as many of the uh, DEM economies that have been far more aggressive in, in hiking. And the Fed, I think, looking at that, has to sort of decide on the on the front of um, recognizing it's so far away from neutral that that's the primary goal right now is to get back to neutral. And I think that's that's what we're seeing. The question is, as as the Fed tightens, signals it's going to tighten more, uh, tightens U.S. financial conditions, U.S. bond yields have gone up. Does that create more disruption alongside this this commodity price shock? And that's why I think it is important that we're not seeing the dollar scream higher. Uh, we're not seeing uh, the stress in traditional EM uh, credit markets now. Um, and that, that is an important indicator that we might uh, be able to get through this, which has these two dimensions of, of shock in response to uh, commodity prices pushing inflation up and inflation uh, pushing the Fed uh, without a much more severe problem in the global economy. But let me end by saying two things. One is that we are concerned about the transmission of commodity and, and broader inflation pressures to weakness and growth uh, through squeezes on household purchasing power. And that is an important near-term risk, particularly as we're not yet clear as to how uh, severe that energy price shock. You know, you, you heard Raphael talking about breaking points earlier, which I think is important to, uh, to keep in mind. But then there's the other side of the story, which we're not going to have the time to really get into. But maybe, Nora, just you have the, the numbers in front of you. We have a pretty sanguine view about where inflation is going to go in the second half of the year. And there's every reason to question whether or not the absence of a more severe Russian shock leaves us with a more persistent inflation uh, problem. So why don't you end, Nora, just by giving, giving a little bit of flavor what our forecast is. I, I don't want to ignore as we're not ignoring the downside risk to growth in the near term, we don't want to ignore the more medium term in inflation risk. But why don't you just give us a sense of what we're actually having our baseline forecast now? Yeah, so our, our forecast, uh, it looks for a 
pretty sharp deceleration in, in global headline inflation uh, to about a 3% average pace in the second half. That's again, excluding China and Turkey. Uh, that's down from about six, six and a half in the first half. We also have core inflation coming down uh, pretty sharply, but I think we'd all agree on the global team. If you asked each and every one of us that certainly the, the upward pressure we're seeing from commodity prices broadly, especially food. I think it's fair to say that the energy shock we've largely incorporated into the forecast, but I think there's still some uh, lingering upward uh, risk here coming from food, coming from the supply chain disruptions that we have yet to incorporate. So I think there's good reason to anticipate that risks uh, will remain to the upside. Some of these pressures could become a bit more persistent. For what it's worth, the contribution from energy prices should kind of fade sequentially as we go into the second half, but certainly on core and food, uh, we'd be a little bit more concerned. And then just kind of thinking through the more uh, underlying picture, certainly that's a reflationary tilt that's ongoing there. Uh, you know, we are concerned about the economy is losing this nominal anchor, the wage and price setting behavior changing uh, as, as the losses from rising input and output costs are, are having to be um, compensated for. So we're, we're definitely transitioning from a situation where we thought a lot of this was transitory, uh, at one point we said, okay, maybe it's it's becoming more sticky, but still it looks manageable. And now we're in a situation where I think we all agree that risks over the medium term are, are, are kind of tilting to the upside here, especially with the rise in inflation expectations that we're seeing in, in a number of countries. Okay. Well, I think on that note, we'll end. Um, as I said, this is the first month we're putting this global monitor out and we're going to continue to do it, do so. Not only is the monitor available, but the data underlying it that gives you a fairly complete picture of, of global CPI inflation uh, for uh, the large set of countries we follow are, are available uh, to access. So uh, I'll point everyone to that. And uh, uh, thank you again for listening. Hope we can continue next time on Global Data Pod. This communication is provided for information purposes only. Please refer to JP Morgan Research Reports related to its content for more information, including important disclosures. 2022 JP Morgan Chase and Company, all rights reserved. This episode was recorded in March 2022.